Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Amen, amen. Grab a seat, grab a seat. We'll get started here in a second. Um, we have a cool opportunity. One of uh, We have a fellows program here at Grace Bible Church. And, uh, and so fellows are graduates um, of, of usually Texas A&M, although we do accept a couple from that aren't Aggies. Uh, but uh, they, they come, they, they raise their support, and they pour into ministries at Grace Bible Church. And so Benjamin Pinkerton is a second-year fellow. Uh, he works over at Creekside. I worked with him um, in doing youth ministry last year, and he is, he's an awesome guy. Love he and his wife, Kara. And so uh, I invited him to come share with us this week from Psalm 23. So would you all please welcome Benjamin this morning? <laughs> all right. Glad to be here this morning. As Kevin said, we'll be in Psalm 23, if you can turn there now. A little background on Psalm 23, written by David. So most of us have heard of Psalm 23. It is actually called the Pearl of the Psalms. It is the most popular psalm. And David knows what he's talking about when he talks about shepherds, because he was a shepherd, the youngest son of Jesse. And so as we go through this passage, we know that he... um, obviously understands the relationship of a sheep to a shepherd. All right, so we're going to turn to this pastor and we're going to read it now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, again, we just are grateful for this morning. We're grateful that we get to come here and to worship you. And God, I just pray that this morning will not just be another checklist to get back to our busy schedules. But Father, this morning we can rest knowing that you are our shepherd, you are our host, and you are our father, God. And I just pray for every single one of us this morning, we can understand a little bit better what it looks like to rest in your presence, God, to understand that you are in control of our situations and circumstances, God, that we can rely on you and you are faithful and we get to dwell in your house forever. Father, I just pray that you speak through your spirit. God, you take me out of the equation and you make this lesson helpful for all of us in our understanding of who you are and how we fit in your plan. God, we pray these things expectantly knowing that this is all for your namesake, God, that you desire for us to rest. You desire for us to be with you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I really do like this passage. As I've been studying it, I... I first picked this psalm because the aspect of rest was, was very difficult for me. And this is a very hard subject because I think that we live in a culture that really glorifies busyness. Right? I know for me when I came to Texas A&M in 2010 and I joined the Corps, I was in the Corps and I was like, man, okay, I'm really busy with this, uh, but, but there's probably more I can do. And so I, I went out for a flow 
Uh, I think those are still around, right? So I went up for a flow, freshman leaders in Christ. I got that. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like I'm doing a flow, but I'm also a fish in the core. And I'm also trying to figure out how to be a student. And classes are really hard. Being a, a fish in the core is really hard. And, and so I'm like, okay, you know, I, I might be able to do a little more. So I'm gonna run for class president. So I ran for class president and I got that. So I became class president and I was a fish in the core and I was in flick. Uh, and being class president, you also have to be in charge of fish council, which is another flow. So I was in two flows. I was in Flick and Fishco, a fish in the core, and I was taking school. And so I was getting wrecked. I was getting about three hours of sleep a night. And so I was like, you know, I was passing the booth one day outside the MSC, and there's a booth set up. And I was like, oh, what is this booth all about? And they're like, oh, this is Pine Cove. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, it's a Christian camp. I'm like, I'm a Christian, and I like camp. So I'm gonna apply for this. So I applied for it, I got it. I was like, oh, this is cool. So I'm gonna now be in Pine Cove this summer. And then spring semester starts up, and I'm like, you know what? I really like that ministry of impact. Like, that was an awesome ministry. I did that coming into A&M, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply for that. So I got that. So I was now a counselor in impact, and I was in Fishco, and I was in Flick, and I was in the core, and I was class president. And so I was getting back to the dorm a lot of times, one, two, three a.m., and then get up at like five, six to do like PT in the core. And so I tell you that story not to glorify it because it's horrible. It's, y'all should be like, that's so dumb. Like, you're dumb for real, right? But the reality is I bet that many of us can relate to my habits that I created when I was in college of trying to do as much as I possibly could because I wanted to find significance. I wanted people to notice me. I wanted to have lots of connections and relationships. I wanted to be that guy, right? And I might not have been able to, to articulate that and say that's what I was doing, but that's exactly what I was doing because there's no reason for me to keep on adding more things to my schedule. But I think it's because we live in a culture that really does encourage and praise that. YOLO, you know, you only live once, you can sleep when you're dead, all these different phrases of really it's just saying, man, we love people that are really busy. If you're not doing much, then you're not worth my time. But if you're doing a lot of things, man, that's awesome. Your schedule's completely packed. You have no margin for rest, relaxation, any of that. No, man, that's awesome for you. And I think when we look in this Psalm, we see that David depicts a very different relationship with the shepherd, right? David, when he wrote this Psalm as another background piece, he had already been king for a long time and his own son, was trying to usurp his throne. And so he had actually ran into hiding. He had to leave his own kingdom while his son Absalom was was trying to kill him, right? And so David in this moment is gonna talk about lying in green pastures and laying by still waters and calling the Lord our shepherd. And when I look at my, my thoughts and my experiences in college especially, and then I look at this Psalm, they're in direct opposition. And I actually have another Psalm that I think a lot of us actually can relate with. This is Psalm 23 as well. Psalm 23, antithesis. It goes like this. The clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I ran, run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For, I'm a, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Right? It's funny. That's exactly what my life looked like for four years at, in, in college. 
because I was trying to find my identity in the things that I did. And I never learned what it meant to rest. And so I think this morning, we're gonna look at the relationship we have with the Lord. And I think our minds are gonna be stretched because Psalm 23 is not just about a shepherd relationship. There's actually two others that we're gonna learn in verse five and verse six, right? And so now looking at, at the passage, we see the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse one. A lot of times when we read this passage, what we do is we make it about the sheep. We make it about us finding rest and comfort. But in reality, the passage is not about sheep. It's about the shepherd. And most of us don't know very much about shepherds because you can't go down your dorm hallway and you can't go across the street and your neighbors are shepherd, right? We don't understand what a shepherd does for his sheep. And so I had to look up commentary and there's actually this guy named Philip Keller who wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. He grew up in East Africa and he was a shepherd for many years and he became a born again Christian and he saw the relationship in Psalm 23 of the shepherd with the sheep and he understood it a lot better than I did. So I'm just gonna give you the four things that I found the most important part of this book. In the book, it says that sheep are very restless creatures. They also don't wanna rest. They don't wanna lay down. They don't wanna stop. They're always doing something. Right? And there's four requirements that have to be met for a sheep to lay down and to rest. Right? The shepherd has to provide freedom for four different things. The first thing that a shepherd has to provide, the first thing that a shepherd has to provide for is freedom from fear. Again, sheep are very scared creatures, and if something comes along and, and startles them, they will run. And the entire flock will run too, right off the cliff. If one thing comes and scares them, they're gone. But the one encouragement, the one thing that can cause a flock of sheep to not be startled and to become fearful is if the shepherd is close. If they know the presence of the shepherd is nearby. When he's walking through the field and his knee grazes their wool, they know he's near, he's close. I can trust that he's here for me. Right? The second thing that the shepherd provides is freedom from friction. What I mean by that is tension. Sheep also, chickens have a pecking order. Sheep have a budding order. What it looks like is a sheep will go and find a plot of the, of the field and it'll stay there and say, this is my spot. And if another sheep comes along, they will start butting heads, bashing their heads against each other, trying to take that spot. And in fact, they won't leave that spot and they won't lay down in that spot unless they feel like nothing's gonna take that spot from them. And so what the shepherd does is has to continuously walk around and show the sheep, hey, I've given you, I've given you all plenty in abundance. You don't have to want what each other has. Right? You don't have to try and take what the others have. In fact, I provided it for you. So freedom from friction. The third thing he provides is freedom from frustrations. And now this might be a little gross for you. That's okay. So there's these things called nasal flies that land in the sheep's noses and they lay eggs. And what happens is when they hatch, they go into their brains and literally drive them insane to where they will bash their heads against rocks until they die. Right? And so what happens, and it's interesting that in verse 5 you see the anointing my head with oil because a shepherd actually creates this oil mix and he puts it on the head of sheep. And that way none of these nasal flies come along. Right? And so the things that are terrorizing their minds that they can't get out of their head, the shepherd provides freedom from that. And the fourth thing that shepherds provide is freedom from famine. So famine is desiring food and water. A sheep will not stop until it is full, until it, is, it has quenched its thirst 
and it's gotten rid of its gnawing hunger. And in fact, the sheep will find a spot and start digging, trying to get grass. And if there's no grass, it just starts eating dirt. It's really dumb, right? It's just like digging through, eating dirt, really bad for it. And the shepherd has to consistently lead them to places that have good water and good food. I don't think we have to spend too much time drawing the parallels there. But the freedom from fear, we all experience the freedom or, or the, the fear of, I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if I, if I don't do well on this test, then that could screw up my entire GPA. And then I can't get into the school I want to. And then I don't get the job I want to. And then I can't set up for my family that I want to. We have these fears and we constantly have to say, man, I have to give this over to the shepherd. This is hard. I need freedom from this. Freedom from friction. Obviously, we have a lot of struggles in between each other, right? We have conflict. And in fact, I bet that a lot of you, if you struggle and you have conflict with your roommates, your spouses, if you have spouses in here, I do. It's awesome. Anyways, so freedom from that is to say, you know what? I give that to the Lord. And I say, man, I don't have to prove myself and I don't have to, to butt heads with my fellow believers and non-Christians, right? The, the shepherd provides for that. Freedom from frustrations, what's in your head? What's the thing that is causing you over and over gnawing at you and saying, man, I can't even stop for a second and rest because this is bothering me so much. It's in my mind. And the last thing is freedom from famine. We all are hungry for what will bring us life. We're all searching. And I was searching for the wrong things in college. I was searching for acceptance. I was searching for popularity. I was searching for significance and grades and all these other things. And the reality is I was just searching for life. I was searching to feel like I had abundant life, right? And the shepherd provides for that. And I think the key is in that second part of verse one, I shall not want. When we read I shall not want, we probably might think I have no desires, like, it's all good. There's no struggles. There's no problems. There's no issues in my life. But obviously, if you look down in verse 4, that's not the case. You see that the, the sheep finds itself in the valley of the shadow of death. And I don't see anywhere in this passage that a shepherd comes and rescues this sheep out of this valley. So the sheep had to get there somehow, and it's not alone. So I'm going to assume that the shepherd is with the sheep in the valley. And there's only one reason I can think of that a shepherd would lead a sheep into a valley of the shadow of death. That just sounds really bad. Why would you do that? Because the shepherd knows where he's going. And the shepherd knows that where we are going is better than where we came from. And so although we have to go through this valley, I see something better down the road. And so the sheep being close to the shepherd in that valley, staying at its knee, can trust I'm taken care of. So I think that David's declaring two things when he says, I shall not want. And I think this is the heart of rest. I think we can rest, we can feel shalom, we can feel peace, wholeness, if we can actually truly say this in our heart, that we declare and we decide. We declare that all my needs are supplied by the Lord my shepherd. That's what he says when he says, I shall not want. I declare that that the Lord will provide everything that I need as my shepherd. And two, he makes a decision. He says, I also decide not to desire what the Lord doesn't give me. I decide to not desire what the Lord hasn't given me, constantly wanting something else. And I think that, in essence, is one aspect we see in this relationship of finding rest in the shepherd is because I know he's gonna take care of me and he provides for me and he leads me to pass of righteousness, and that he leads me by, by still waters. 
that he provides and protects me, I can rest in the shepherd and I shall not want. I, I declare that. So then we go to the next relationship we see, finding rest in the host. This is in verse five, right? This is, this is where I think that a lot of us haven't necessarily studied. We hear the shepherd, sheep, metaphor. But in this part, we actually see the Lord as a host, right? He's, he sets up a banquet. He prepares a table in front of his enemies. And for me, the way that I, I picture this in ancient Israel, this is a big battle coming up, or maybe the enemies are all around. And yet the Lord, as the host, sets up a table. He prepares a table personally for me and for you. And people, a soldier typically would go and grab food as fast as possible and then go to battle because they got to get ready at all times. I constantly have to move and get prepared to go fight. But in this moment, we see that because our relationship with the host brings us peace, we can actually sit down at that banquet table and we can stop even though we are surrounded by struggles. We are surrounded by trials, right? And so moving to the second part, you see that he anoints his head with oil. And if you have studied in the Old Testament, looking at the points where a, a person gets their head anointed with oil, David got it, he was anointed. Also priests were anointed. And so typically what it meant to have your head anointed with oil is that you are now declared to be set apart, to be holy, to be gifted by God for the calling over your life. And so what happens is the Lord comes and anoints your head with oil. It means I have set you personally apart to do what I've called you to do. I've made you and created you to do something specific. And that's what, ha that's what it's saying whenever he anoints my head with oil. I have been made holy or set apart to do what you've called me to do. And the third thing we see is the guest sitting at the table. And it shows an overflowing cup. Again, in ancient Israel, they would have people all the time at their houses. And so they would come through and they would come into the house. And what the host would do is fill their cup. He would fill their cup half full. That means, hey, I got stuff to do, but it's kind of my obligation culturally to accept the guest into my house. So come on in, have half the cup, and then you need to go. And that was just the way that they would do it, half a cup. They would fill the cup to the top. If it was like, hey, we'd like you for a little while. Maybe we fill your cup half full next time, but you can stay for a little while. We're not in any hurry. But when the host would make the cup overflow, it meant something completely different. It meant, I want you to stay as long as you'd like. I am so grateful to have you in my house. I am so grateful to spend time with you that I want to continuously overflow your cup. And the picture in my mind as Christians is for God to overflow my cup means that it's being poured out so much that the rest of the world can see it. That God is overflowing your cup with blessings and abundance so much that other people can't help but notice. Now again, this is, this is very different to me because I'm thinking, man, in college, I probably didn't look like my life is just overflowing with joy and goodness. I probably looked tired all the time. I probably was pretty stressed out all the time. And I, I bet if someone looked at me, they would be like, man, that dude's cup is overflowing. No, they probably was like, man, that guy's, that guy's just barely making it through the day. And I think that that's where we've got off somehow in our culture to say that busyness versus rest, busyness is better. And yet we as believers, understanding how much we've been blessed with, we've been set apart to do great and awesome things that we can rest even when our enemies are all around us because our cup is overflowing with the goodness of God.
We can be confident in that. Where did we get off? So we find rest in the host knowing, man, because you have blessed me, and the way I wrote it was the warrior feasted, the priest was anointed, and the guest was satisfied. And that's you and me if we have a relationship with the Lord as our shepherd and as our host. And so just, just to be thinking through that, man, is my life really reflecting that I've been set apart and that my cup is overflowing and I'm resting in the Lord, right? And the third thing we see is finding rest in the Father, verse six, right? Whenever it says in verse six, surely goodness and mercy, that mercy, it means has said, and so that is steadfast love, right? So goodness mixed with mercy in regards to God is steadfast or faithful love. It's not a word we use very often. Man, that dude's love is faithful, right? Like I wouldn't probably talk about too many people like that. But in this moment, it says, not only is it following me, because that's how we interpret follow, but it's actually pursuing me. And we use pursue a lot in Christian culture of like, are you gonna pursue her and all that good stuff? But the reality is that this is the picture of the father coming out of the house and seeing the prodigal son of far, far away. And what does he do in his culture where it is, it is incorrect for a man to run or to show a lot of emotion? He sprints towards his son who's been led astray. He sprints and he chases him down and he hugs him really big. Says, I missed you, son. I'm glad you're home. And that's the picture we see in this moment of his goodness and his mercy. His steadfast love is pursuing you. And I like that he starts off with surely or only, only goodness and mercy. And again, David's old and he's gone through a lot of different things and he's struggled. He's a murderer and he's an adulterer. He's gone through a lot of different challenges. His own son's now trying to kill him. And yet in this moment, he can say only his steadfast love is gonna pursue me. Surely in the future, he is constantly gonna chase me down. And so I think that we look and we see how can David say that when he's running from his own son who's trying to murder him? It's because he's seen God's faithfulness in the past. And he's seen it in the present overflowing cup. And so now he's saying it here again. I know that for my future, he will continuously pursue me. And lastly, he finishes with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In our culture, we see forever and we think eternity. And that's not what David was meaning here. And dwelling in the house of the Lord, we probably think heaven. And that's not what David was meaning here either. Because you remember that David is actually on the run from Absalom. And what he longs for is to be in the presence of his father, his king, in the sanctuary. And so he's saying, I cannot wait to return to dwell with my father. And in my future, I get to spend time with my father forever. And that's convicting for me. Because how often do I think I cannot wait to get away and to be with my father and to spend time with my Lord. I cannot wait to get to the next place where I can just be alone and spend time and rest in the Father. So we can continuously meet him in our lives because David had to go to the sanctuary and yet we've been given his Holy Spirit. So we actually host, we're indwelt with God and so we can spend time with him anytime. I think that's another picture we see of what is rest is that we get to go and be in the house of the Lord forever, as in he is dwelling in us and we just spend time with him. So going through the first three points, you rest in the, in the, in the shepherd because one, he provides you freedom from fear, from friction, from frustration, from famine. You can say, I shall not want because I declare 
that he's provided everything I need and I decide not to desire any more than that. Then we see in the host, we see in the host that he provides us so much that as a warrior, I can stop. Yes, this world is a battlefield and I'm constantly going at war, but I can stop and sit at the banquet table and I can say, I trust in the host so much that I can, I can stop and I can rest. And I've been a set apart. He's anointing my head with oil. I can rest in saying, man, he has made me to do specific things. And I'm encouraged to know that I am wholly set apart for specific purposes. And then lastly, he says, man, my cup is overflowing. I'm so filled abundantly by the blessings that no one around me questions or doubts that I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Lord guiding and leading me. I have the Lord as my shepherd. So this is kind of concluding it up. But now knowing all of that, knowing those three different relationships, now we're supposed to find rest in a shepherd and the host and the father. And we ask, why is that not the case for us? I, I was really trying to think through this because this is difficult. But I realized that I had made my quiet time something else in my schedule to do. And I made it all the different things that I could do to work for to find rest. I have to get alone and I have to do this, this, and this. And that's what should get me rest. And I was making it about myself again. And yet in verse 3 when it says, He, he leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I completely taken that passage out and said, this is about me. I want to find rest for myself. And the problem is that I made it about the things I do rather than about the person I was doing it with. And so what I, what I wrote down here, maybe, unless this isn't working. Can you go to the next slide? There we go. Is the issue is that it, when you look in the passage one through six, it talks about God a lot. One through three actually talks about the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He guides me. So the, the shepherd provides. But then in verse four, what do you see? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It becomes first person. And I think David's teaching us a lesson right here in rest. Is that I think a lot of us are pretty good at talking about God a lot. I could talk about God a lot while I was in college. Right? But I didn't spend a lot of time talking to God. I made it so much about the things that I do and even rest, the component of rest and being with the Lord was really about myself that I was really good at studying so that I could tell other people about God because I was good at talking about him. But I wasn't good at talking with him. And I think that in this moment, when you see, first he's just talking about the shepherd, but when he hits the hard times and the enemies are surrounding him, it becomes very personal. And so I think that sometimes we are led into the valley of the shadow of death by our shepherd so that we will cry out personally to him, I need you. I want to be with you. And these other things aren't satisfying. Love the shepherd, not the pastors. Love the host and not the banquet and love the father, not the house. We want all the blessings that come from rest. And yet we want to take away the aspect of spending time with God. So what, what lastly I want to just really focus on is you restore my soul. Kind of wrapping it up. What does a restored soul looks like, look like? A replenished, a refreshed soul. In a minute, we're going to break into small group and we're going to talk through, man, is my life really a picture of an overflowing cup? And can I really say that I feel like my soul is restored constantly by the Lord? 
and, and I, would, I would be honest. And, and maybe the, the group that you're with, maybe you don't get to see them a lot. Maybe you find someone this week and just, just be honest. Man, I, I struggle with just talking to God and being with the Lord. And it's so hard not to say that school and these other priorities are really more important than resting in the Lord. And yet I think that the key to resting, to finding rest, is finding rest in his faithful love. I challenge y'all with that. I'm gonna pray for us and then I would love for y'all to discuss these things. Well, Father, we just are grateful, God, that, that you are a shepherd and that you're our host you're our Father. God, we can learn so much from this passage. We can learn that you provide and protect and you restore. God, that you lead us in places that sometimes we don't want to go and you've got a purpose for it. God, that you have set us apart to do specific, awesome things for your kingdom and your purposes. God, that we can find rest in you even though there's so many other things pulling and tugging at our hearts to perform and to look the part. And God, we're, we're tired of that. We're tired of trying to put on masks and prove ourselves to others. But we really just want to spend time with you. God, we want our lives to look like what David is showing, a life that is full and restored and refreshed. So help us to do that, God. Again, that is, that is what you want for your children. You want us to be uh, refreshed and restored. You want us to have overflowing cups. And so just help us through your spirit to see the areas of our lives that we're really just not giving over to you. And we... We don't really trust you as our shepherd and our host and our father. God, I just, I pray that this is not just another scheduled thing, God, but we can go away changed. We love you so much. We thank you that you even allow us to do that through your spirit. We pray these things by the power of your spirit. Amen. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm Jacob Smith, and we are so glad that you're joining us one more time. Uh, this week's a little bit different because we uh, were deviating actually from each other on our Sunday morning experience because at Anderson we did baptisms. Yeah, you did. And it was super fun. We had uh, 10 people across our two services get baptized. It was actually the holy split of three and seven, <laughs> so uh, we made sure that it was... It was definitely in line with the Lord's will. Uh, we had so much fun just getting to see and, and really just celebrate. I mean, baptisms are just so beautiful because it's just an opportunity to celebrate what God's done in people's lives. That's, you know, I got to hear 10 different testimonies, yeah. uh, 10 different presentations of how the gospel just rocked people's lives. And, and it's so beautiful to watch it. And it's so encouraging because, you know, we remember what Christ has done and that just compels us. It just moves us forward uh, in anticipation for what he has next uh, for us. So, man, it was super fun. I know you guys had a good time too. Less wet, but I'm sure it was still. It was more. less wet, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, man, I I always hear great things about baptism Sundays. They're always a fun celebration of what God is doing in the lives of students. And uh, Southwood, we um, we actually did Psalm 23 uh, last week. Uh, Anderson did Psalm 23, uh, and we had a a fellow do it. Uh, one of our folks that works with actually our youth ministry came over and and did a. Uh, a presentation on Psalm 23. He did a great job. He did a great job. So it's fun to see. Uh, the next generation step up and and give a sermon and and get some great feedback. So, That's awesome. yeah, I was very thankful for Benjamin Pinkerton and uh, hope you were able to listen to that to that sermon. He really did a great job. Good job, Ben. Well done.
Well, uh, transitioning, we got a couple of announcements of some things that are coming up this week in college ministry. Uh, the first one is what's next. Oh, yeah. So not just what's next. Yeah. But, but it's called but it's what's next. Called Jacob, what's next. Jacob, help us out. We are, what is we're that? very straightforward in our naming structure uh, <laughs> because we know that, right, people are starting to ask that question, juniors and seniors in particular. You know, right. not only are you starting to ask that question yourself, but you're starting to hear that question from parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, uh, random people in line at Walmart. They're just it asking you. It is the you, question college what, students get. What's next, man? What are you doing with that degree? And, and so we want to basically just help inform that decision-making process. We want to help widen people's perspectives. We want to help maybe answer some questions uh, that people might have about a variety of vocations, a variety of directions and trajectories that our students are going. So on October 20th, at mm-hmm. 7 o'clock, uh, we want everyone to be able to meet at our Anderson campus over at our main uh, building at Anderson, October 20th, 7 o'clock. Uh, we're kicking things off with a keynote from uh, a couple just like really great professionals. Uh, a couple of people, I can't think of their names right now. Eddie Coulson and, and Andrea Pell. There it is. Eddie, Eddie and Andrea Pell. So they're going to do a great job of just sort of talking about what, what does that phase look like? What does that transition look like just sort of in general? But then we'll have breakouts for people to specifically meet with people in the vocations that they're headed. So yeah. engineers, accountants, doctors, teachers, like people can talk with all all those sort of different fields and hear about, I mean, what are some best practices? What's a way that I can bring my faith into that area, into that context? Uh, but then we'll also have breakouts for people that are interested in missions, people interested in seminary, uh, people interested in just full-time vocational ministry. Right. We'll have a whole breakout dedicated to even just our fellows program. So just like Ben Pinkerton got to speak at Southwood College this past week, I mean, we have a lot of other fellows right. that weren't necessarily speaking, but they fill a lot of roles and they do a lot of wonderful work in our organization, in our church as a whole. So children's, youth, college, outreach, they're all over the place. Worship. Worship, yeah. So, and so one of the cool parts about our fellows program in particular is, uh, and you'll get to hear more about this, but if you are considering uh, ministry, vocational ministry, it is a great opportunity to uh to get an inside track as to what it looks like to be in full-time ministry. So uh, there's a lot of organizations out there that have uh, this type of program, but we are partial to ours. We also can get uh, Dallas Theological Seminary credit as a part of the, the two-year program. So right. something to check out. So hope to see what's next to learn a little bit more about that. October 20th, juniors and seniors in particular. If right. you're just like an overeager sophomore, great. If you're a freshman, you need to calm down. <laughs> And just learn to love the life you're in. <laughs> Take your test. Take okay, your good. test. Good. All right. Steps at, one step at a time. Right. Last one, last announcement is this. Uh, we have a Southwood event on October 28th over at Gabbard Park. And one of our fellows, Victoria Lorenz, scouted this location, found a fun event, and it is the event is called because we are very specific. Very specific. Bring your own pumpkin. Love it. And uh, if that's unclear. You're going to bring your own pumpkin to Gabbard Park. You're going to carve some epic jack-o'-lantern-esque thing into that pumpkin. And then there will be awards given out. There will be prizes. Uh, It will be absolutely awesome. We're bringing – we have table host groups at at Southwood, and and we've already encouraged several table hosts to get a very large pumpkin. There you go. Have your team carve on it. Uh, My table is going to be doing like a Disney theme on the front of our pumpkin. Don't spill all the beans. Okay, okay, okay. You've got to get there. You've got to get there. (laughs) Gabbard Park. It's from 5 to 7 p.m. We're also going to grill some s'mores. Awesome. Lots, lots of fun. You can find it on Facebook, uh, Grace College. So anyway, October 28th, Friday. Boom. Friday night. night. What else are you going to do from 5 to 7 on Friday? 
Nothing but carve a pumpkin. Carve a pumpkin. That's what we need. <laughs> awesome. All right. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College Podcast. I hope to see you next week. Yes. <laughs>